What's up, guys? I am Caleb Giddings, and Jack and Keith are on vacation right now. I believe they're doing peyote in the desert. So it's up to me to host this week's show, despite the fact that I am currently on active military orders. However, uh, joining me again this week is my friend, the lovely and talented Annette Evans. Hello, it's nice to see all of you again. All of you, there's just me. No one's no one's ever watching this. There's only like 40,000 views an episode, but you know. Oh, is that all? Yeah, just, just 40K. It's not that big a deal. But this episode, so whenever I bring Annette on, I like to talk about things that, things that are interesting to me. And the neat thing about bringing your friends on the show is that often those things are also things that are interesting to your friends. So this week, I was I was kicking around topics and I decided I wanted to talk about something that is very important to me. And it's because I'm such a huge advocate for people getting training, but how does someone who has just gotten their concealed carry permit and they want to go take like a training class beyond, you know, CCW 101, how do they know it's good? How do they know their instructor is good? And even more importantly, what are some red flags or some warning signs or things that they can watch for? And part of the reason why, you know, I wanted to have Annette on the show is Annette, you know, we all know that women are the fastest growing group of firearms purchasers out there and concealed carriers and all of that. And Annette can speak to concerns and red flags that would completely go over my head because I'm a dude. And there are things that are red flags to Annette that would never be a red flag to me or that I wouldn't even notice as something that's a red flag. So that's why we brought Annette on this week. Uh, we're going to hopefully at some point during this episode, I'll come up with a title for it because I don't really just want to call it red flags, but we might. Uh, so Annette, you know, talk to, before we kind of get into this, talk to me, you know, very briefly, because it would take, we could do an entire podcast on your training resume. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about your training resume for a bit. Like, just kind of give me like, you know, the, the, the highlights of the last couple of years. Well, the last couple of years is easy because COVID. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a fair point. All right. Kind of, so let's just give me the 10,000 you. <laughs> So, you know, the last couple of years, because COVID, you know, I, I've really only been getting 50, 100 hours of trading a year. Because, of it. yeah, <laughs> I, I want you guys to put this in perspective here real quick. A hundred hours, you know, 40 hours of trading would be a full week's worth of eight hour days of training. And most gun owners in the course of a year will not do eight hours of training won't do 16 hours of training and Annette only has been getting in 50 to 100 in the last two years you know because of COVID so I want you guys to think about that keep that number in your head as we go through this episode yeah I, I've gotten I am a training junkie and I will absolutely admit to that I've I, I've done a lot of classes a part of it is because I both have a competitive shooting background and this sort of defensive combative you know, tactical background as well. So I've done a lot of work in both sides. I've trained with uh, the entire Showworks Collective now. I have managed to collect them all. Um, Do you get like a badge for that? Like I told them I something? should get a coin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've trained with all of them. I've trained with, you know, a lot of the guys who are associated with the Range Master folks at the top tier. So like, John Hearn and um, John Murphy and all of them. Uh, with Tiffany, I haven't been on the range with her, but I've taken some classes with her as well. Um, I'm looking, Citizens Defense Research, I've trained with almost all of you now, though now that you're growing, it's been a little bit harder. I know, you're to gonna have to that. get, uh, have you trained with Chris yet? I have, I took his uh, one day classroom class. Oh, cool. You're gonna have to, I mean, obviously, you know, you're gonna, you're on the list of cool kids to come to my revolver class. So we'll, we'll see, if, we'll see if we can make that happen. Although my, my revolver has been claimed. <laughs> I have spares. Uh, here, wait, I'm gonna do a shameless plug here real quick. Uh, shameless plug, it's on the, if you t search for Citizens Defense Research upcoming classes, and I don't remember, I'm a terrible uh, self-promoter. I don't remember the exact date of it, but it's like, the second weekend in December at Dallas Pistol Club is my two-day 
contextual revolver skills class. There's four seats left right now. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you want to get gooder at shooting a revolver and understand some of the contextual and specific reasons where a revolver can be applied effectively, come take my class. If you don't want to do those things, uh, don't take my class. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Wait, um, can, I mean, can I do it, it for a flashbang? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> It's a uh, round count agnostic. So if you've got a five round gun, you want to stick in a flashbang. Sure. That's how I took ECQC. So, you know, I have, I actually just look, I have about 1300 ish hours of training over my life. So this covers about the last 15 years or so. Um, I've done armor training. I've done a lot of competition classes. I've done a lot of defensive pistol classes I've taken classes in pistol, rifle, shotgun. I've taken fighting only classes. Um, I've taken like technical marksmanship classes, medical classes, instructor classes. And um, I also train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I don't count those hours in here because that would be kind of depressing about how much time I spend in the gym. Would it be depressing or would it be awesome? Like, you know, that would be like, I don't count time dry fire as training time, even though it yeah. is training time, but if I like added that up, I'd start to get depressed. So, but with that in mind, let's, you know, uh, I'll give, you know, I have, I actually don't have as cool a training resume as you. Um, but I would say that, you know, between Gunsight, Ernest Langdon, Blackwater, uh, and, you know, and there's a whole, and, and also Craig Douglas and a whole bunch of other people, I would say I have a fairly extensive training resume. And thanks to both of those, you know, both of our training resumes, we both experienced, in my opinion, you know, some of the best instruction that the industry has to offer. You know, uh, I think you and I both hold Craig Douglas in very high regard, both as a mentor and as an instructor because of the way he runs his classes. And if you, if I were to tell somebody, you know, if there's one instructor whose style I, you know, if you wanted to rip one person's style off, it would be Craig. I'd be like, go rip Craig off, like 100%. Um, don't like rip off his curriculum. That's not cool. Rip off the style and the teaching methodologies that he uses, but don't rip off people's curriculum. That's, you know what? That's a great segue into red flags. Ooh, all right. So that's a really good one. <laughs> so we'll do this. Uh, so I want to do this kind of as a back and forth, like, you know, one that I, that, you know, I'll think of one. We'll talk about it. You'll think of one. We'll talk about it. That sort of stuff. This episode will be four hours long. Um, but the first one that I want to talk about is someone who claims to have invented something that they clearly did not invent. And a sort of 1A of that is someone who doesn't attribute their sources with the caveat on the source attribution in that it's impossible to attribute everything right like if there is a technique that i very specifically learned in a class from someone else i will say i learned this from so and so and i applied it to my daily practice however if it's something that you know they learned from someone else who learned it from someone else who learned it from someone else and there's like 16 different guys who are all teaching kind of the same thing you don't necessarily need to attribute that you can be like oh yeah i learned this in a different class and now i'm teaching it to you but the real number one on that is when someone says, I invented this, this is my original idea, and it's very clearly not. And it's something that either you've seen someone else teach, or you already knew, or something like that. The people who claim to have the original Kung Fu, that's a red flag to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of folks out there, but they're pretty high profile or well known once you start asking around. And even then, sometimes it's kind of up for debate. So for me, the related red flag I see to that is, you know, you and I just talked about our training resumes. When an instructor doesn't have much of a training resume, that's, yeah. that's a red flag to me. And if they say they've taken this class maybe once, maybe even twice, and then they're trying to teach that material, like, dude, especially some of this more complicated stuff when we're talking about getting into you know, higher level defensive pistol work, higher level competition, higher level combatives. You can't take a class once and turn around and teach it. Usually you're stealing a curriculum and stealing technique to do it. And you certainly don't have a level of understanding that you need in order to pull it off. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you see, you know, that's actually, I was thinking about um, 
when I was thinking about this episode, you know, one of the the topics that came to mind was the student turned instructor. And there's nothing wrong with someone who takes like a shitload of classes and then starts teaching so long as they don't teach past their headlights and teach past their ability and stuff like that. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens a lot of the time is you'll have people who take a shitload of classes and they have no application skill for any of those classes, right? Like an application skill doesn't mean necessarily getting into gunfights. It can mean, you know, if you're teaching combatives, you should probably go roll like in a competitive, non-consensual environment, you know, or, you know, have some amateur fights or something like that. Uh, you know, and if you're teaching high level shooting and you've only ever taken classes, but you've never like actually, you know, shot when it counted, you should probably go do that. So that was kind of part of it, but the, but even worse than that is to your point, the person who like, and I'll use ECQC as an example, because I've seen this, you know, people will take ECQC once and then they'll be like, I know everything about managing unknown contacts. And, you know, meanwhile, they live in an upscale suburban neighborhood and they've never like, they don't see, you know, you could almost get away with that if you took ECQC once and lived in the hood and had to muck people every day, you know, seven days a week and you were pepper spraying bums and shit like that, but you're not, you know, and that, yeah, that's a huge, huge red flag when someone takes one class and then they're like, now I'm the expert. No, you're fucking not, dog. And, 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 you know, I think that there's some room for, hey, I've taken a lot of classes. Now I'm going to turn around and teach, even though, you know, I haven't gotten into a gunfight or I haven't competed in a jiu-jitsu tournament or something like that. But we're talking about really deep levels of training. Um, you, you know, it's not I took ECQC once, for instance. It's I took ECQC a bunch of times. I took a lot of related coursework. I you know, I at least sport trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, even if I never competed in it. I've spent a lot of time working on this and it wasn't all inside of, you know, a year. Right. Like if somebody, so, you know, I don't want this episode to just be about the negative. So if here's an example of this done in a positive way. Let's say you're a person and you got your concealed carry permit. So then you go and I'm going to name specific classes here because I think they build into a thing. So you're like, and you decide, you know what, I've got my carry permit. I'm going to go do a gun vacation because I've read all about gun sites. So you go to gun site and you take a 250 and you have a fucking blast and you love it. And honestly, I think that everybody should take a 250 at some point in their life. I'd like to. Pretty cool. So you go to gun site and you take a 250 and you're like, that was awesome. So then you go and you take a Langdon course and then you go and you take an MSP course and then you go and you take, you know, uh, attack uh, uh you know armed parent guardian from citizens defense research and after you've taken all four of those courses you decide to go get your nra basic pistol instructor certification and teach basic pistol classes i'm fine with that that is a reasonable progression of education and instruction and assuming you're backing it up with training good training habits and frequent practice of your own yeah that's fine that person who does that who follows that sort of theoretical course isn't teaching anything outside their lane. In my opinion, you take, you know, if if you get your, you, you take those four courses and you're good to friggin' teach basic pistol classes, like especially NRA basic pistol classes. Yes. Uh, and where it gets complicated is when that same person with the NRA basic pistol instructor wants to teach a concealed carrier defensive pistol one class. Right. now, And then I'm like, hey, where did you learn the the intricacies of drawing from a holster of concealing a gun of doing all this other stuff and i'm not saying well you need to go take say uh sarah and john hoffman's class about how to conceal a gun which is ex an excellent seminar but have you spent that time living with the gun working through those materials have you spent some time you know going to more than concealed carry with even two or three or four instructors right? Like yeah. you're not ready to teach concealed carry 101 with a basic pistol instructor. And I've seen that over and over and over again. So like one of my red flags, since we're actually going to like kind of wrap this up in a bow is they're claiming, you know, I have XYZ instructor certificate and then they don't have 
the that instructor certificate and their educational and training background doesn't line up with the thing that they're purporting to teach. Right. Yeah. And you do see that a lot where you'll see people who are uh, teaching outside of their lane, for lack of a better way. And that is a big red flag is, and that ties into one of my red flags where this is a huge red flag for me. And this is where an instructor obfuscates their resume, right? Like if, if you are taking a class from someone and they are not crystal clear about what qualifies them to teach the material that they are attempting to teach you, that's a red flag. It's not necessarily a don't go take this person's class, but that's a huge red flag. And like, you know, uh, I, I'll use myself as an example for this one. For my revolver class, I very specifically in the course description lay out my background shooting revolvers and why the stuff that I am going to teach you is applicable outside of general pistol stuff, right? So, you know, I don't teach, could I teach it? Could I teach a concealed carry class? Sure. Absolutely. I could, uh, I, I, I not, not to tap, pat myself on my, on the back, but I'm pretty sure I have the requisite skills and knowledge and experience to teach a class on how to carry a gun concealed and employ that gun from a concealed environment. But I don't, and I don't one because I don't want to actually, that's the number one reason is I don't <laughs> fucking want to. But two, it's because even having a background that would allow me to do that, there's guys who are better at it than me. So why would I want to try to get into that space? And so that's, so I think that's kind of a double whammy red flag is when people teach past their skis and because it's the people that obfuscate their resumes that are often the one teaching outside of their lane because they don't want you to know, uh, you know, I, they're an NRA basic pistol instructor and they're trying to teach, you know, tactical home defense classes or something like that. Or they're, you know, it's not like I expect to see, you know, the spreadsheet of every class they've ever taken, but oh. I'd like to see some references and I want to see references that are applicable. Like, you know, I keep going back to NRA basic and pistol instructor, which a lot of people forget is a certificate to teach a very specific curriculum. Mm hmm I, and I mean, there's an outline that you're supposed to follow when you teach basic pistol. It's actually it's, a very, uh, and I'm going to say this decent. real quick. Yeah. In defense of NRA basic pistol, I know we shit on it a lot, but the actual course is really, really well written. If you are trying to take someone who has never touched a gun before in their life. And at the end of eight hours of instruction, turn them into someone who is at least a safe gun owner. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not bad for that. So anyway. No, my, my biggest uh, objection to the entire thing is that we have so many people who say I'm an NRA basic pistol instructor and don't teach the outline. Yeah, there's that too. And, and there's a lot of folks who, you know, have a background. They'll tell you, sorry, I see this a lot with military, ex-military, military guys. And they're like, I was military, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to teach you home defense or concealed carry. And I'm like, well, but what about that background you've disclosed to me? It's actually applicable to the thing you're teaching, right? Like if you have a breaching background, like you know how to like breach buildings and do that kind of thing. That's not really something I need in order to defend my house. Right. And there are, and you know, with that, there are plenty of military guys who have relevant applicable experience to that, you know, whether it's solo structure clears or, you know, carrying guns in deniable areas and things like that. But to your point, how is your experience relevant to the thing that you're teaching and instructors who don't show that, you know, who don't show their homework, that's a red flag. It's, you know, it's like, oh, I'm teaching you this thing. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. What qualifies you to teach that thing? You know, did you, you know, there's, there, there, there's, you know, some people who maybe start believing their own press releases and suddenly think that they're qualified to be instructors. And that's not, and it's unfortunate because they don't actually have any relevant experience that lets them speak to this subject authoritatively. Um, which brings me to my personal pet peeve of red flags. And this is, uh, this is one that I've harped on before. And this is instructors who do not demonstrate the skill in class. All right. And I'm not saying that, and I, I, I want to be very clear about this. I am not saying that you should only take classes from people who are like 
grandmaster level and above shooters. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that your instructor should be able to competently demonstrate the skills that they're expecting you to perform. I can buy that. Competently, not at like a turbo, like, you know, if your instructor says, hey, you know, for this next portion of the class, we're going to draw and fire six shots from concealment into an eight inch circle. They need to be able to draw and fire six shots from concealment into an eight inch circle. Like that's not, and the reason why that one bothers me is because not everyone's learning styles are the same, but there are enough people who learn by monkey see, monkey do, that if you can't teach to at that specific learning style, you're going to have a problem. And especially when you're dealing with an, a physical skill where so much of the information that I'm gathering as a student, I'm gathering with my eyes. You need to be able to at least show me what the stance looks like and show me what trigger control and recoil management and all of these things look like because my primary information gathering resource for that in that classroom environment is my eyeballs. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely a a thing. Um, and it's something I've come to believe in more and more over time. One thing that's related to that, because I'm thinking about more and more over time, um, just because somebody is not a great instructor today doesn't mean they're a bad instructor forever. That's and just because point. somebody's a, you know, a bad instructor, you know, a good instructor today doesn't mean they're a good instructor forever. So, you know, I, I, I wonder about people who ride on their laurels, right? They were a good instructor at one time. Like, let, let's look for continued good performance as an instructor. You know, I don't want to look at 10-year-old class reviews and go, oh, this guy's good. But at the same time, you know, here's a positive. Like, just because you've heard something about some guy or girl three, five, seven years ago, hey, take another look at them because those red flags, they may have worked on that and you know, that's gone away. You know, maybe they've gotten further continuing education. Maybe they've worked on their skills. Maybe they've just learned how to teach better. Yeah, that's actually a really fair point. And something that I hadn't thought of is that, you know, there are people that 10 years ago, I would have taken a class from that maybe I wouldn't take a class from today and vice versa. There's people five years ago that I wouldn't have taken a class from that I would absolutely take a class from today. So you have to bear in mind that people can grow and people can change or they can get worse and get hidebound. And you know, here I'm going to use a really, really controversial example of someone getting hidebound and stuck in their ways. Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper was an innovator. When yes. he was young, he was a, he was, oh, he was open-minded. He was creative. He had these great ideas about pistol shooting and changed the landscape of pistol shooting forever. By the time he was old Jeff Cooper, he was very, very set in his ways. Does that mean that his ideas that young Jeff Cooper had were bad ideas? No, it just yeah. meant that old Jeff Cooper was kind of set in his ways. You know, so, and that doesn't necessarily, and that did, wouldn't even necessarily have made him a bad instructor, but it's an example of how someone who can, you know, can change as an instructor and they can start off, you know, open-minded uh, and, you know, thoughtful, and end up closed-minded or they can start off closed-minded and through experience end up open-minded and thoughtful. Yep. I, I've definitely seen that. And then related to that too, is think about why you're taking the class. So, you know, if I were looking at um, Jeff Cooper, old Jeff Cooper, and I wanted to learn Jeff Cooper's shooting, you know, the way Jeff Cooper shoots, I'm still going to go to old Jeff Cooper's class and learn that, right? So red flags for one person might not be the same red flags for somebody else. And that's yep. a really important point too. That's also, yeah, that's a really fair point. You might not care that your instructor doesn't demo in classes. Um, you know, and I, I, I want to add a further caveat to that demo thing, because every time I bring that up, someone's like, oh, does that mean they have to demo every drill? No, not, no, I don't need to demo two to the body, one to the head. I can tell you, hey, for this next row, we're going to shoot two body, one head. What they need to demo are specific skills that allow you to shoot two body to one head faster. Like if they have 
a specific way that they move their hand to the gun in the holster or something like that, or they set their stance up in a specific way on five to go or something like that. That's the shit you need to demo, right? Like, and I, uh, I will also say this, if you're one of the instructors who has your own coin or patch or challenge or whatever like that, you would absolutely have to demo whatever your drill is to a high level. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't necessarily have to hit your own, like, you know, uh, turbo standards every class but you should be close you should be close to whatever you, the max of your own standard is and that's that's the competitive side of me talking that's like if you're <laughs> gonna say this is high level ultimate performance you fucking better be able to do it dude but that's that that's a personal pet peeve that may not be a pet peeve to somebody else somebody else may be like oh he says that like a two second build drill is super ultimate skill, but he can only shoot a three. I don't care. And that might be okay if they're able to take you on the path there. Yeah. You know, I, I look for thoughtfulness and reflectiveness in a lot of my instructors. You know, if they're not meeting a standard or if they're not meeting perfection, then I want to know why. And I want them to help. You, you know, I, I'm in the same place as them. Obviously, that's why I'm in the class. So I want to get an understanding of, okay, so what do you think is going on here and how can I apply to how I'm doing it? So you've got a three, you tell me two second build drills, the standard, and you're shooting three second build drills. And you can tell me, Hey, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because my draw really sucks. It's something I'm working on. Let's look at what you need to work on. Or, Hey, I'm doing this with like a sub micro compact double action only gun. It's a, and I'm doing it, you know, with the revolver and I need to reload to finish my build drill. Like, oh, I understand now why that standard might not be met in a way that's not just making excuses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which brings me to a not a red flag, but something that gets stuck in people's heads a lot about classes. And that's, it goes back to the idea of, you know, whenever you have, whenever, and, and I, I know this, I'm, I'm, I swear to God, guys, I'm going to move on. This instructor should be able to demonstrate conversation soon whenever i bring up uh the whole like a good instructor should be able to demonstrate the skill somebody will inevitably bring up like well what about you know coaches they don't always have to be the you know to be able to the best at their position that they're coaching or something like that and i'm like that's correct they don't have to be the best but they have to be able to teach that position they have mm -hmm. to be able to teach the physical and athletic or mental fundamentals to accomplish throwing a ball or catching a pass or whatever. And frequently the very high level guys who are so, and they always think of like head coaches as being the, the, that person, the head coach doesn't do that. The head coach is a manager. They get all these moving parts, position coaches. Do you think the hitting coach for a baseball team can't hit a baseball? No. He can hit. Do you think the pitching coach for a baseball team can't fucking pitch? No, at one point in his life, he could pitch, but he may not have been the best pitcher ever, but, but he, he understands, understands the technical aspects of pitching. He understands the technical aspects of hitting, you know, running back coaches understand the technical aspects of taking a handoff and hitting a gap in between the offensive tackles. So don't think about the managers and the head coaches when you, Think about this. Think about the position coaches. They may not have been the best. They may not have been the grandmaster equivalent of it, but they have to be. And this is what it gets down to with me, with the, 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 the person you're taking a class from, is they have to be able to understand the technical aspect of what you're doing well enough to be able to not just translate it into uh, teaching, but also be able to view you and diagnose what you're doing. And one of the best diagnosticians I know in the entire industry is nowhere Melody. near one of the best shooters. Like, and I'm not saying that to be mean to her, uh, but Melody, uh, yeah. our friend Melody Lauer is one of the best diagnosticians of what watching people shoot. Mm -hmm. Melody's not the best shooter I know. Melody and Melody's not even in the top 10 of best shooters that I know. Now, admittedly, my shooter circle is a little bit, you know, it's <laughs> like she's a wizard compared to normal people. Yeah, however, to normal people, but I know like at least 20 grandmasters. So, like, sorry, you're not in the fucking top 10. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in the top 10 of the best shooters I know. So, but that's kind of like the 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 positive reverse of this is don't disregard so taking a class from someone 
you know, assuming a person doesn't have any red flags and we'll use Melody as a great example of that. Melody has no red flags, but just because they may not be as good as you or, uh, you know, have the background that you want, don't necessarily disregard taking their class. I've, I've learned stuff about shooting in, you know, tactical classes. I've learned stuff about tactics and shooting classes. So, you know, have an open mind. That's, that's where that one's going. Have an open mind about people you're training with. So here's the thing, just because somebody you don't, you've never heard of somebody doesn't mean they're a bad instructor. You know, I, I bet a lot of people here have never heard of, for instance, uh, Eric Bekeiser or Rick Remington. Yeah, that's a fair point. And they are wonderful instructors. They primarily only teach regionally. So if you've never heard of them, doesn't mean that they're a bad instructor. They could, but it's not a red flag. Likewise, just because you've heard of them doesn't mean they're a good instructor. Yeah, that's... And I'm not going to name names because that's a terrible thing to do for something like this. And, you know, obviously opinions defer on that. But you can't just go on, well, a lot of people have taken their class, therefore they must be good. Oh, like, they have yeah. a lot of Instagram followers or they have a lot of YouTube subscribers or... yeah. Those are both really good points. You know, to the first one, I hadn't heard of Ernest Langdon until I'd heard of Ernest Langdon. You know, and what then I mean? everybody knew who he was. Well, <laughs> I, once you started I, asking, yeah, like, and yeah, and, and once I was like, hey, who's well, I, I Ernest is a poor example because I knew Todd and Todd knew Ernest, so that was a real short trip for that one. But like, let me think of a better example. Um, uh, actually, Craig Douglas is a better example because I didn't know who Craig Douglas was until I knew who Craig Douglas was, right? So you could very easily be like, who the hell is this Craig Douglas guy? And then like you ask two people and they're like, he's the fucking shit. Um, so that's a that's a that's an example of just because you haven't heard of someone doesn't mean you should dismiss them. And then, you know, I again I won't, I am, I am really trying to be good about this stuff. So I'm only naming names here in positive contexts on this episode, Annette. But I can think of a half a dozen people who teach classes that are, you know, Instagram famous or YouTube famous and use their clout online as a platform to get students, regardless of whether or not they possess the actual skills, qualifications, and knowledge to teach what they're teaching. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunately very true. And it's hard to sift through that. You know, really, the, the only way you can do that is to look at reviews, talk to people, and then take all of everything that you've heard and everything that you've read with a grain of salt. Sometimes you're going to just have to go and find out yourself. And you may find out, you know, when you arrive at class, hey, there's some red flags here where maybe I will stay, but just for the entertainment value or, you know, for some supervised practice on the range or for some review or sometimes you're going to see red flags that won't appear until you show up at class that unfortunately you're going to have to turn around and leave and possibly forfeit what you paid. What's an example to you of a red flag that would have you just be like, nope, I'm out. Safety issues. Safety issues are such a big one. I mean, I get, especially in some of the classes I take, that there are some safety practices that I would accept in some classes that I wouldn't in others, you know, depending on the specific individuals there, the specific subject matter that's being taught, things like that. However, I still want to see an instructor who is thoughtful about that and individualized about that and has some good upfront practices like nobody handles a gun until you're given instruction to do so. Arrive in class in any condition that you want to do that you want, whether you're carrying, not carrying, whatever it is, but don't touch the gun. And then kind of beyond that, I personally have some, you know, flexible, I don't want to say flexibility because some rules are just a given, right? Like live guns don't get pointed at people. Real guns don't get pointed at people. If I see those kinds of things, then I'm finding a way to sit out or leave. Yeah, uh, I think, no, I mean, obviously safety issues are a big, like, you know, I'm I'm out. Uh, and I think that to, to provide some color to that, you know, 
if there is a safety issue with a student that the instructor is made aware of and then blatantly ignores or brushes off, that's a, that, that for me, that's a, you know what, maybe I don't need to be in this class today. I can just flush this, you know, $400 down the toilet, um, which I would rather flush $400 down the toilet than get shot in the kidneys by somebody who's being unsafe. So I think- I was gonna say it's tough sometimes because there are things that can happen in class that look unsafe or are unsafe but are low consequence or are handled in a way that's okay to keep the class running you know like i've had students nd in classes it happens yeah and that's not to mean necessarily the student doesn't get to shoot in class anymore depending on what happened yeah i mean i've had nds in classes but it was because I was prepping the trigger and, you know, I just got on it too early and the round hit somewhere in between me and the berm and there was nobody downrange. So that's actually like the best possible place. Sometimes a class is the best possible place to have an ND, especially if you're, you know, working on pushing speed or something like that. One of the things that that reminded me of is a red flag that can lead to safety issues. And that's a bad student to instructor ratio. So... Uh, one of the things that the Air Force, I think, does very, very well that I have basically incorporated into my civilian classes is uh, the Air Force mandates when we're having, when we're doing training classes, uh, a one to seven line official to student ratio. So if I've got 21 shooters on the line, I got to have three instructors on the line, one for every seven shooters. Uh, and what that means for me is my max enrollment for classes is 14. Mm-hmm. And I'll run to if I am going to be solo with no AI, I am I get uncomfortable running a line of I'll go up to eight sometimes, but I get uncomfortable running a line of more than like eight students, you know, and it depends on who those students are, too. And yeah, it really depends on who, who those students are. It depends on what's going on, what we're teaching to go back to the Air Force example. The Air Force, then, if you're doing any sort of shooting and moving, it go, collapses to a one-to-three student-to-instructor ratio. And if you're doing any sort of fully automatic fire, it's a one-to-one ratio. So, you know, the military is not great at a lot of things, but I think that as a standard makes a lot of sense. And I've been to classes where it was like a one-to-twenty student-to-instructor ratio, and they weren't doing mal- – and you can – you that can be managed a single instructor can manage 20 students if they break it up into relays if they do this if they do that there's ways to run that safely but i've just been in classes where there's friggin' 20 people on the line banging away and one person cannot watch 20 people at once no it's that is to me very closely related to the lack of organization i see sometimes when you eat Sometimes before class, sometimes not until you show up and there's 20 people milling around. Nobody knows what's going on. The instructor is busy with one student for very good reasons, you know, answering a question, dealing with an issue. And you have no idea what's going on, what's happening, what's going to happen next. Um, The curriculum doesn't seem like it's organized in any particular fashion. You know, that that might not be a I'm going to leave red flag, but that's going to be a I'm not sure how much I'm going to learn while I'm here red flag yeah hey let's talk uh because we've been at this for 45 minutes now let's talk about some specific red flags for women because you know this isn't something that i can really address other than like uh i because i'm trying i've been in classes with female instructors but they've never hit on me because they're all my friends so you know that would have been really awkward but um, but let's talk about like, you know, red flags. And you mentioned something to me when we were chatting about this, creepers. Creepers. Creepers are definitely one. And so this is a complicated topic because in general, we've got adults taking classes from other adults, right? However, there is a student-teacher relationship. And I think that's really, really important, particularly inside the classroom, right? And you and I have both taken a lot of classes from friends or people who have become friends and you know, whether, and I'm not talking about romantic relationships necessarily, but whether or not that relationship changes over time, you know, some people go, well, it's a creep. He's a creeper because he wants to be my friend and he's trying to be friendly with me. And like, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. As always with interpersonal relationships, 
it's complicated. But what I'm really thinking about is boundary violation. Yeah. You, you know, that's where that's where it's a really big thing. If they're trying to be friendly with you before, during, after class, and you're like, hey, dude, mm -mm, I don't want to give you my number. I don't want to talk to you afterwards. Or you're giving them kind of like those brush off answers and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm like, oh, that that's kind of a red flag, certainly for you individually with that instructor and potentially for anybody with that instructor. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I, I would say this to you male instructors also, uh, don't be fucking creepy. Like, and here's, and I, I, I'm, I might catch some flack for this, but guys, if you don't know when you're, if you're acting creepy, you're probably acting creepy. Like, let's just be real. I'm going to be really blunt about this. All right. If you don't know you're acting creepy towards a female student, you probably are. All right. If you are 100% confident that you are not a creep and you are absolutely professional in the way that you managed your students of the opposite gender or of the same gender that are attracted to people like you, then you're probably good to go. Um, uh, one thing that I really, really don't like when I see this in classes, and I've never had this happen to me again, because I am a man in class. Uh, I don't like it when instructors touch people without their permission. Like the, the that's candiness. not, yeah. Or and, they touch in unnecessary ways, whether or not they have permission. Yeah. Like, and again, I am no saint. I, you know, I've definitely made my share of terrible mistakes in my life. I once co-produced a gun bunny calendar that made me a lot of money, but like, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a good person. All right. I don't claim any sort of good boy status here, but when I have female students in class, if I want to adjust their grip, right. And this also very much comes from my military background where everything is, you know, very upfront. I'll be like, Hey, are you cool if I touch you? you know and if they say i'd rather you didn't i'll be like okay cool so look at my hands and try to copy this as best as you can right but if they're cool with it then i'll be like all right just do this um but yeah i've seen a lot of non and i mean for it's it's i call it this it's non-consensual touching you don't get to touch people with you don't get to touch people without their permission that doesn't that, that that's not just that's not just in gun classes. That's in the world, all right? You don't get to touch people without their permission, and you can't force people to give them your their permission for you to touch them, okay? I'm just going to be real clear with that. That's and, not, and that's I, a, yeah. I, I think with, like, combatives classes or classes where you know you're going to be hands-on with somebody else, like, that gets a little bit more... There's There can be a level of... I don't want to call it assumed consent like you might get in the beginning of class hey somebody might you know i or one of my assistant instructors might be correcting you or hey um, in a shooting class you might get touched if we have to keep you from pointing a muzzle at somebody else yeah right like there's some things or they might not tell you that they might just do it because you're swinging the gun in the wrong direction yes. that's a different thing that is completely different that's different from instructional touching yes and, and, and the other thing with instructional touching, it's not just the permission. It's like, we have all seen that dude who like wraps himself around a girl to show her how to swing a bat or a racket or hold a gun or Shoot something like that. Yeah. No, like if they're doing that, like, man, like you better have a pre-existing relationship with that person where this is okay. And, <laughs> and they still shouldn't be doing it in a class with other people. That is, that's a, you know, that's a, uh, a thing that I have also been party to is I've been in classes where the instructors were fighting each other, like not like physically fighting, but like they were, they, they had a pre-existing relationship outside of class and the problems in that relationship, it bled over into the class. And I'm like, I would like to learn to shoot things, not watch your fucking domestic um so yeah that was that was that was awkward uh but all right so let's see if we can make like just like a a list of things that you should be on the alert for uh like you show up to a class and if three of these things happen you should dip and i'll start with there's no safety brief at the start of class 
that's mine. All right. If you get there and once, you know, there's a certain amount of milling about time, whatever. But once the instructor says, hi, my name is Caleb Giddings. Welcome to Contextual Revolver. Uh, we're going to get today's day started off with our safety brief. If that portion never happens, that's a real big red flag for me. Real big, right off the top. I wouldn't necessarily leave, but if give me one, give you, you give me one. If we get to like three of these, and then it's time to go. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree on the safety brief. We can argue about what should be in the safety brief and all that, but the idea that they're thinking about safety is really, really big to me. And if they're not, something, and I've mentioned this already, is mass disorganization. And that's both a safety issue because if they're disorganized with like trying to like control the class, and I'm not talking when everyone shows up and it's mass chaos, I'm talking about, you know, we're in class and there's just like no classroom management and there's no line management. That's a safety problem. And that's also a learning problem. And if you can't control the class, like what am I going to get out of it? Or if you don't have some sort of outline in your head, at least that you're following, like, I'm not really getting, I'm getting, you know, your ramblings for the weekend. And I don't think I dip for that necessarily, but it's the kind of thing that would make me maybe pay a different kind of attention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my third one uh, on that will be the instructor, in addition to their lack of a safety brief, lack of organization, if they focus more on telling cool guy stories than teaching the class. And that doesn't have to be cool guy war stories. That can be cool guy stories from competition or cool guy stories. Like, you know, it, it just whatever that person thinks a cool guy story is, I didn't come, like, I don't, okay. And I, I have to, I have to, again, call myself out. I tell jokes in class. That's part of my instructional style is to tell jokes. However, the jokes are not why you came here. Mm -hmm. And if I ever get to the point where I'm focusing more on being funny than I am on teaching the material, that's a problem. And so, and that's the same thing as an instructor telling cool guys, too many cool guy stories and not teaching the material. You know, if you're focusing on, because the whole point of cool guy stories or the point of telling jokes is to reinforce the lesson. It's, hey, when I was in Najaf shooting people in the face, I did this thing with my hands and it made the gun track faster and transitions. Great. That's all I needed to know about you shooting people in the face in Najaf. Thank you. Continue. So that's a, that's, that's, so, all right. So we're at no safety brief, disorganization, spends too much time on cool guy stories or trying to be funny. Give me one more. And I think we could probably call this an episode. One more thing, I show up to class. Um, I, I want to reiterate what I said about boundary violation. Because yeah, it's not just touch. It's not just touch boundary violation. It's kind of all boundary violation. Like you're showing up to class, you are a paying customer there to learn a thing. And you might discover that a thing that they want you to try is just not within you for whatever reason. Maybe you have a some sort of physical limitation that you're like, there's no way I'm going to do that without getting hurt, or I'm afraid of getting hurt, or you're nervous, you know, wow, that looks really, really hard. I'm not comfortable doing that now or yet or whatever else. And somebody who's going to force you into participation, whether it's physical participation, verbal participation, like if there's a, we're going to go around the class and, you know, share stories about X or share, you know, a time when, like you should be able to pass. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll close with this. There is a reason why legally the teacher-student relationship, students can't offer, can't always offer informed consent, you know, because, so this is a message both for teachers and for students. Remember at all times that there is a power dynamic at play in the teacher-student relationship, in the instructor-student relationship. And that usually that power lies in the hands of their instructor. So my biggest red flag, and this is Caleb's catch-all red flag number one, an inst any instructor that abuses that power dynamic in any way, that's a walkout. I am walking the fuck out of that class. I don't care if I get my money back. And then I'm going to probably tell all of my friends, don't ever take a class from that person. And then they're going to tell all of their friends. I'm not going to like blow them up on the spot because that doesn't accomplish anything, but any instructor that abuses that power dynamic, 
that's our that's that's our red flag. And that might be oh. more of a negative ending Wait. than a necessary. Oh, there is one time when I would blow up the instructor on the spot. Is if I see them abusing that dynamic or pushing that boundary on a student who is unable to manage that. Yeah, that's fair. In a combatives class, an instructor who's like, no, you have to participate in this activity, you know, this drill or whatever. And the student's clearly uncomfortable and unable. I think at this point, and I I wouldn't expect this out of anybody and everybody, but at this point in my training career, like that's something where I would step in even as another student, not as an A or something else, be like, hey, you know, she said no. Yeah. He said no, they're not doing this. I don't see, you know, why can't they sit on the sidelines and watch? Why can't they, you know, learn this another way? Even something is more, maybe something more subtle. Like, why don't I partner with them? Yeah. No, yeah, that that's fair. Yeah, I think there are times as a student where it's appropriate to call out bad instructor behavior. Um, and uh, to all of the people out there who are students who are thinking about being students, there are, you know, the while the instructor has the the bulk of the power in the class, you know, there are ways to opt out. There are ways to help other students in class if you see something bad happening. And again, the internet's a super powerful tool, man. You know, if you see bad behavior, I, I there's too many good instructors, too many people who are doing it right for us to tolerate bad behavior in this community. So I do think we it should be called out. And I do think they should be at some point blown up, but you know, We'll see how that goes. Uh, sometimes it doesn't go the way you think because maybe that instructor has a huge social media following. But anyway, that's or, the point. And the other thing to keep in mind too is like humans are fallible, including instructors. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes it is absolutely, you know, take some time, do a judgment call. Is it worth having a conversation with that person? Is it worth having a conversation privately with your colleagues, your friends, or an instructor that you do trust? Well, and yeah, there and may be explanations. And that's a fair point too, because people make mistakes, but, and that goes back to what you were talking about with reading reviews, talking to other people. Is this a pattern of behavior with this person or did they just have a shit day? Cause people have bad days, you know, and sometimes you have a bad day and you blow up at one of your students and you, you know, call them an idiot. Um, uh, and it happens and, and it might not be your character, but you might've had a bad day. So there is, I, I want to leave this episode with leeway for human nature. You know, I think that people, people don't, people aren't always exactly the way you would expect them to be. Uh, most, and I, I know positive, I got it, I got it, I got my positive ending. The vast majority of instructors out there who are teaching uh, self-defense, shooting, and stuff like that are doing it from a place of well-meaning. Yes, And they want to help people. They want to teach people. They want people to be better at fighting and better at shooting, better at defending themselves. That is the vast majority of instructors. And the very, very few that these negative red flags apply to, fuck them people anyways. I'm Caleb Giddings. Annette, tell people where to find you on the internet. You can find me at on her own. Uh, most of the social media handles are on her own life. All right. Thanks guys for watching, listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing. Make sure to share this episode with your friends, and especially if you have people looking to take their first training class. We'll be back next week with a new episode.